recording is on. Okay, we'll start one more time. October 12, 2022, the Juvenile Probation Commission full commission regular meetings is now commencing. We'll start with the rule. Margaret Brodkin, president. Yes. Linda Bartley Jordan. Present. Joanna Laco. Present. Toye Moses. Present. Pardon me? James Fingola. Present. You have a quorum. Great. So now we have the approval of our, well, the hope for approval of the minutes of the last meeting. Um, have, do I hear a motion to approve the minutes? And I just want to say one thing about that, which is um, Cheryl does an excellent job of the minutes and it's quite detailed. So if people at, from here on in should really review them. I know I reviewed the minutes and I didn't like the way she said some of the things I said, so <laughs> I, I, I made some modifications. So, um, so I just want to make sure the audience knows this, because if you want to find out what's happening, you can actually read the minutes. And um, so do I have a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Any discussion? Any public comment? No, hearing none, will you call the roll? Secretary. Roll to approve the minutes of September 14th, 2022. Margaret Brodkin. Yes. Linda Martley Jordan. Yes. Joanna Laco. Yes. Toye Moses. Yes. James Bengola. Yes. Motion passes. So I want to take public comment, and this is public comment of things that are not on the agenda. And I want to point out that on the agenda are issues around community-based organizations. So if you have come to speak about that, this is not the time to provide testimony. Is there anybody online? Is there anybody online at all? Yes, there are. There are quite, quite a number of uh, attendees online. Um, okay. None, none have raised their hand for public comment. Okay, so hearing no requests for public comment, um, I will move on to the main item on our agenda, which are the partnerships between. Okay, we're going to do one thing that's short. If it turns out not to be short, we're not going to do it. Um, I want this. We're going to. Put number six next, which is the consent calendar for the contracts. Um, there were two contracts under the consent calendar, and I want to know if anyone on the commission wants to take them off the consent calendar with um, questions or concerns. Okay, hearing none. Uh, thank you. Um, is there any public comment on the contracts? Cheryl, anybody online? No one online. Seeing none, I will request, um, does anybody have a motion to approve the contracts? I move. Seven. Can you take the roll? President Margaret Brogdon. Uh, yes. Linda Martley Jones, Jordan. Yes. Sorry about that. Joanna Laco. Yes. Toye Moses. Yes. James Mangola. Motion passes. Pardon me? 
Could the commissioners please move their mic closer to them so that everyone, including those at home, can hear you? When you're so far away with the mask, it's difficult for them to hear your answers. Okay. Okay, we will now move on to item four, which is partnerships between CBOs and the Juvenile Probation Department. This is the main topic of discussion for the meeting. We have three parts of this, a report from DCYF, uh, comments from the Juvenile Justice Providers Association, and primarily comments from community-based organizations. And I want to, having talked to D the Department of Children, Youth, and their families about this, saying I think we should hear from the community first so people don't have to wait And uh, in recognition of some requests I've gotten, which is of people have to leave or go to the airport. Um, so uh, is the Juvenile Justice Providers Association prepared to make any comments? Or Good evening, Commissioner. Mm. Wow, hello. Um, feels like a concert. This is a lot. Um, my name is Dawn Stickle. I am the director of Sunset Youth Services and co-chair of the Juvenile Justice Providers Association. We need a sound man in here. Um, so, hi, James. Um, it's good to see you. Thank you for having us. Uh, I feel like a broken drum record, broken record, but I'm going to say the same stuff again and again, and, um, and that is that CBOs uh, would like to be, are requesting slash begging slash demanding to be connected with kids earlier in the process. Um, we are working um, at, I think we have diligently been showing up at every opportunity to say we need earlier access, we need unfettered access to the kids in order to support them on their journey through the system. And I think there are there is precedent for ways that confidentiality can be handled. There is a whole group of funded and vetted organizations. There's also two particular organizations being um, CARC and DDAP that could receive the day list um, and could work then to, you know, come up with support for individual, for kids as they're in. Um, I think that for too long, we've been waiting and just sort of saying like, well, let's try to build something, let's think about it, let's look, let's work toward, we're now several years into this same sort of roadblock, which keeps young people from being supported from the very, very beginning of their journey through the system. And so uh, I think one example that, that we, what we draw on is that for those of us who are working with uh, Taya, young people that we are usually connected with them pre-adjudication and i realize they're not minors but um there there are ways for us to figure out how to get community supports around these young people earlier in the process and not waiting um, and i think the way that we can do that and you're going to be hearing from folks today is you know the the referral system is clearly not broke is not working like so sitting around and waiting for direct referrals from probation is just doesn't seem like 
the way to go. And I think that there are ways for us to create something that doesn't depend on probation referrals or waiting for um, kids to be adjudicated. Thank you. You still have 30 seconds. Oh, well. Um, so I think that there that it's important for us to recognize as and for you all to recognize as the sort of policy body of juvenile probation that these young people need to be connected as soon as possible with community supports and that I know there's there's a lot of of differing ideas about what that looks like but it's important for kids to be supported ASAP. Thank so, you. I, I would like the take the prerogative over the chair <laughs> um, to allow people to finish their comments, to extend the three minutes to four minutes so people can say everything they What? She. Oh, so there was no limit on your time. Uh, well, then why were we timing her and ringing a bell? Okay, that was a mistake. Okay, we should make it known that the bell rings 30 seconds before the end of your time so that you have time to wrap up your thoughts. It's not the end. So the first bell is just to warn you that you have 30 seconds, which is time to wrap up your thoughts. If it's public comment, but the next we will hear are from uh, the community based organizations that want to be part of this part of the agenda. And we will not ring a bell unless you really are just gone haywire. <laughs> um, so, so I would like to um, start, start with people in the room and then go on, um, except I have one person who requested to go first because he has to go to the airport. Hey. Can we have clarity here? So this is not public comment. This is not. Yes. Yeah, I think if we're going to hear from the Young Women's Freedom Center, we ought to start by hearing one person who then can say whatever needs to be said. And then during public comment, we can hear from everyone else. Does that make sense to you, Jane? I just want to make sure everybody feels. Is, is that okay? Okay. First, I want to thank everyone. Sorry, I, I got to head out soon. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it. My name is Jose Hernandez. I'm the program director of the Second Chance Youth Program and Tattoo Removal Clinic with Scottison, uh, the Central American Resource Center. Would you mind taking your mask off? Because I'm having. Sorry about that. Jose Hernandez, the program director from the Second Chance Youth Program and Tattoo Removal Clinic with the Central American Resource Center. Um, the Central American Resource Center was established in 1986 uh, from refugees fleeing the war in Central America, El Salvador more specifically. Uh, we've been doing legal immigration work uh, since then, and then around the 90s, uh, during the Real Alternatives programming, uh, there was a tattoo removal clinic there that was doing case management specifically with young people. Um, once that kind of uh, is no longer into existence, it kind of, Garrison kind of took part of that. And, you know, uh, surpassing all the super predator rhetoric from the 90s, uh, they took away court mandated tattoo removal. Uh, so we work with young people um, in and out of incarceration, uh, Im immigrants, uh, young people, unaccompanied minors. Um, and I think the last time we got a referral from JPD was like about yeah, three, four years ago. 
the only time we get uh, referrals is from the public uh, is from the public defender's office, and just seeing what's going on with the district attorney going completely hard on young people who are being trafficked, young men out there in the streets being trafficked as well. They're not that out there selling uh, willingly. You know, you talk to them, you sit down with these young people, and you kind of hear the stories of them being trafficked, them forcefully being, they're selling. This is why they're kind of going in and out of the system. Like they kind of run out because maybe fear of what's going on uh, of repercussions and then kind of seeing the numbers you get one unaccompanied minor every single week i think what two weeks ago there or a week ago there was like three in one week and not an email not a phone call not nothing we've been doing this we will sit here we've been and the reason i bring up when we were established is because we haven't gone away we're not gonna go away we work with young people regardless of what situation they're in after probation as well. We got folks here that don't even get money from the city, from the county, and are willing to be they're here every single time they show up. There's plenty of resources and referrals, uh, resources here in the city within itself. I'm, I think, I don't know if it's a recommendation we can make that we look to San Francisco first before we go into nonprofits like Seneca that are outside that have a turnaround rate, a ridiculous turnaround. And we're here, these folks are going to be here. I hear stories sitting around in different circles of people being like 10 years ago, we were, we were still saying the same thing. 15 years ago, the referrals, five years ago, the referrals, please, if y'all can look to San Francisco first, the organizations here before any referrals come out. And I know, I know that at it's at the judge's discretion, whether young people get released or not. And at that moment, there's kind of hands are tied, whether young people are out there, but come to us first. There's people who are here. They know the city. They, yeah, they might be living in Pittsburgh because they're getting pushed out. Yeah, Antioch or different parts, but people are losing their homes, getting pushed out. And it's the same thing happening with our young people. So please look to San Francisco based organizations first. Thank you. Oh. Oh, no, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. And do you have his name, Cheryl? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to call on one person from the Young Women's Freedom Center, and then I'll have one person from every agency here that wants to speak, and then we can have public comment. <laughs> okay. Could you please speak in the microphone? Because the people at home can't hear you when you speak to the side. If, Thank you. Yeah, if, if you're able to take off your mask and feel comfortable, do. If not. My name is Lucero Herrera. I am the Advocacy and Policy Director at the Young Women's Freedom Center and a representative of Reimagine Youth Justice Coalition. I also am here speaking as a community member who was impacted by the system and someone who works with youth impacted by JJC. I was asked to speak here today by Margaret Brockins on how to improve the working relationship between JPD and community services. We take this opportunity to speak about our observations on the lack of critical and genuine community input or the transformation of systems towards a vision of love, care, and healing. What we observe happening today at the City Hall doesn't reflect the demands we set out start this camp to starting off this campaign. As much as we know JPD isn't going away tomorrow, we believe in creating a long-term version for long-term vision for a new ecosystem of care for youth. I'm here to say that we don't feel heard or validated by the process over the last two years, regardless it's been in spaces in the Human Rights Commission, JPD, JJPA, the Board of Supervisors, especially with the limited public comment and the lack of true community power in this process. 
We observed that the listening session recommendations are the only city validated community input in this legislative process. We believe that the larger problem within the system is the culture of punishment and the lack of emphasis of prevention to reduce and sustain our youth population to zero. It is important that we stop pretending that juvenile probation is not an extension of law enforcement. That is why we don't want to reinforce a narrative that it is possible for JPD to improve relationships with community, but instead that community should reclaim its power to create an alternative outside of this institution that has historically oppressed our communities and profited from our incarceration. Anyone who believes in science and fairness understands why we need to keep youth out of the adult justice system. For years, young people have been working to dismantle inhumane and unfair policies that criminalize and harm youth. Our youth feel like they are perceived as threat. They don't feel safe and often misgendered and disrespected, which re-traumatizes the youth. This is a system rooted in punishment, not the root cause of the young person's need. Young people have demanded we take the time to heal when we get the support we need in our communities. We are looking for opportunities for youth, not just a place for you to be for a few hours. It means we are intentional about matching the youth up to a program that will address the needs and empower them to be positive members of their community. See our organizations and our professional staff members as leaders in this process. Those closest to the experiences, the problems are the best fit and closest to the identify the solutions. We do not work for you. We work for and to support the youth. We need to directly address the basic needs of the youth and their families and highly support the idea of universal basic income that reaches them directly. Recently, there has been other incidents where youth that were support, we have supported for a month. Within that month, the youth had an ankle monitor for three weeks while being detained in juvenile hall. That re-traumatizes the young person and probation needs to do more training and practices how to work with the youth and CBOs and protocols not to re-traumatize the young person. It's also doing the double time. This is one of many stories of misconduct. We have counselors inside JJC who misgender youth and call youth trannies. What type of justice is this for young person? This is a larger problem with the system causing violence and creating not a safe place for youth. We can't, we can't trust one institution to hold accountable for another institution, such as the Juvenile Probation Commission, who's tasked over to see JPD and JJC staff and hold them accountable for their mishap and ensuring they are following the law. We demand there be evaluation with your staff and review policy around conduct to make sure youth are safe and so we can, so we can increase transparency. One way to improve accountability to communities to honor our demand that we, uh, that the ombudsman's person should not be directed employee of the JPD. We need an outside reviewer of the system. This role should be an independent body or community institution oversee and implement plans of actions for accountability. This body should include community members who have been impacted by the system. We also like to know when the last time a staff member in JPD was evaluated. We like to clear response. We like a clear response was JPD track record and accountability and why is not transparent in their reconciliation with community. Where do we have access to follow up these harms? Monthly reports are not evaluation of staff. These are often thrown in our face as the only metric to measure accountability. We believe in the power of community to create alternative outside the law enforcement, both as a long-term demand and the need for transformation, but also the immediate need to reinvest in prevention and reduction of the youth population to zero, because we believe in the power of community and our young people. I take the opportunity to give Stephanie an emerging community organizer at the Young Women's Freedom Center to speak.
Hi, my name is Stephanie. Um, I'm a community organizer at the Young Women's Freedom Center, and I believe young people must have the space to make mistakes and recover from their mistakes without long-lasting consequences. At times, I I was a youth in juvenile hall, and no, knowing my mistakes led me to incarceration and my family not wanting me, I believe I I and young people like me should have a right to be able to make their own plan and support and care and have the have power to make decisions that best support to break the cycle to of abuse and violence in their family. Young people should have the right to heal to own and make amendments to their own mistakes and the right to resources and support the think to seek the transformation in our own terms we claim the right to be free from discrimination based on our own intergenerational history of arrest and incarceration I'm committing to the work of the community to support bigger and bigger visions and alternative for justice. Thank you. And Lucero, if you have those comments in writing and could submit them to us, um, that would be great. Now, now, okay, go. Cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. My name is Ron Stickle. I'm director of justice services uh, from sunset youth services. And yes, I am married to my boss. Don. <laughs> um, at, at, okay. At sunset youth services, we are a funded agency to serve uh, youth involved in the justice system. We're funded to serve 80 as of this time in the year. We have served 41. Uh, however, only 5 of them are connected to the juvenile probation system and most of them are Tay and Taya and we're, we're finding ways to work that system. I just want to make sure everybody knows what you mean when you say Tay is everybody is that clear yes, okay just want to make sure it's clear fair enough Taya which is transitional aged young adults or transitional aged youth whatever the current term you're comfortable with is uh, so primarily, most of those numbers are coming from that system, and we are working at connecting different ways through that system. Uh, the five that we connect with through the juvenile system, of those five, zero have come through direct referrals. I will say, in all fairness, one of them came through a probation officer working with the public defender, saying we want we want sense of youth services involved with this particular youth. But as far as direct referrals go, uh, zero come that way. I would like to suggest an entire revamp, if not obliteration of the referral system. And this is, it is not a system that works. Uh, these youth need to be pursued by the community. Might I say relentlessly pursued by the community. We need to know where they are, who they are, what we can do to get involved in their lives. Life change does not come through in organic referral systems. If you find that the, I will call it the gatekeeper system, which is where a, a probation officer will, will guard, uh, 
any information or any work with this particular juvenile and, and dole it out. If you find the gatekeeper system works better than the community-based support system, let's keep it. I think all evidence anywhere in the world will show, any you can find, any I've read, that the community support system is the system that works, not the gatekeeper system. One person's efficiency is another person's bottleneck and the youth get lost in the middle of it. So if there is a way to deal with the concerns, which I've heard brought up, the confidentiality concerns, and I can think of a few ways, and I think we can come up with ways to deal with that issue, to allow those of us in the community who either already know many of these youth, know their families, or if we don't know them, we're about to. We're about to love on these kids if we're given the chance, if we are provided the way to, from the get, be involved in their lives. If there's a way for us to circumvent the system where all of us in the community who are a part of their lives sit back and wait for a handout of a referral, but instead are allowed to go in and pursue. That's the only way to really develop the relationships that we have. If the referral system can be completely revamped or recognized that it is broken and needs to be dismantled and redone. I know we are creative enough around this city and around this room to come up with something better. Let us do it. Thank you. How do you want to do this? I, I, um, I'm, but I was it's just trying to figure out. Yeah, you know, I how think. How does the referral system work, and how do you see it working, Rob? Can you speak into the mic? So yes, if you want to ask questions of a speaker, since they're now part of the program, yeah. try. You can. Okay, that's what I'm asking. I'm asking, how does the refer? Yeah, you, Ron. How does the referral system work, and how do you see it working later? What 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 is, what is a suggestion on how the referral referral system should be working? Well, the, I will say this, they have tried to revamp it a few different times, going, going from some clearly dysfunctional systems of trying to send every juvenile through one particular very pinched bottleneck and be, to be referred out to agencies. Right now, the way it seems to be is that the agencies have to sit and wait until they get permission directly from an individual probation officer to come in and work with their youth, get a referral directly from, a, from an individual probation officer. That's the referral system. None of us do that. And we all work with these youth because we, we connect with them either, you know, we have staff, you know, I have staff up in the halls. We have staff up in the halls that meet them. We have staff in the community that meets people. We have um, the public defender's office is very good and all of the different parts of that at pulling people in. So the referral system that is ex we are expected to work through, which is the system of having a probation officer make a direct referral to a, to a community-based organization is how it has seemed to be is the seems to me to be the attempt we're working on right now. I suggest it's again not working and needs to be revamped. Uh, does that answer the question? No, it did. It did. I was just wondering how did the referral? I, don't, I didn't know. I never knew how the referral system worked. Well, I don't either. Yeah, so that might be one of the I, didn't, I didn't know. So you wait on the probation officer to make a referral to your organization. If we're wanting to get a direct referral, which I think that that's what is always reported on, yes. Then and we wait for the probation officer way, to make the direct referral. If you referral. had your way, how would the referral system work? If I had our way, if the referral system way. would work in that we would, we in the community would know who comes in, either either through CARC or through some other, some other reasonable uh, confidentiality issue, would know who was there when they got there first, like right when they were first involved in the system, and we would 
come up and meet them and start working with them, even, you know, even before they find their, their eventual complete probation officer, because that gets shifted around as well. Uh, not as much anymore, but it was shifted around quite a bit. So even before they get uh, into a final system, we would be involved in their lives from whatever agency probably knew them anyway. San Francisco is not that big. Most agencies out there have some connection with the youth or their families. We could be called in and... I, thank you, Brian. Now, I, I, was, I, was, I was trying to still didn't answer my question. How, who would make the referral if you had your way? If I had my way? Yeah, who would make the referral? All right, if I had my way, we would get the list of kids who come in through probably the public defender's office, or I, I, it doesn't even really matter where we would get that, but get what's called the day list, which we don't get or can't get through confidentiality reasons. Yeah. We would then through, uh, well, and what we have like with the TEA system that we've set up is a group of people that will get this, this referral, usually from uh, pretrial, and we are working on then bringing those people that we know into the system. So if, for example, uh, the JJPA were to get something like this day list and be able to say, okay, these people got arrested today, who knows them, who can work with them? How do we, how do we go there? We talk to your agency, we talk to, you know, where do they live? What neighborhood do they live in? Do they know, you know, do they know YCD? Do they know Sean? Do they know Damien? Do, who do they know? How do we connect them and get them in there? And that could happen within a two day period or less, one day period. And that way we're working with them before they've gone through a lot of the process. That would be my vision. I don't know what, what is possible or what other people's vision is, but I think that people from the community need to be involved while they're, when they're first arrested. My preference would be at the time of arrest, but that's a, that's a ways down, but it's not undoable. But at least at the time of booking would be involved. Okay, that worked. Okay, I wanna- and answer it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you, yeah. I, I wanna, this was great, and thank you for asking the question. I just wanna arrive at a balance between, a discussion between the speakers and making sure we can get to everyone. So, but I, that was a great question and a great conversation, and I can hear the program committee now deliberating on what the best system should look like. Next. Good evening, my name is Nairi Monroe and I'm here representing MNC. I'm the Director of Workforce Development, Youth and Family Services. I will say that for my team, we've actually seen an increase in the referrals from juvenile, but I believe it's because we now have a case manager that has a great relationship with a lot of probation officers. And so because she has that open line of communication, she's seeing referrals, so as she is transitioning individuals off of her caseload, she's getting new ones coming in. And I think that, again, the problem with that is that's because of a personal relationship that is attached to an individual rather than a system that is designed to support kids and community-based organizations throughout San Francisco. It cannot rest with one relationship or one probation officer. We have to figure out a system to be able to support the community-based organizations, support the city, and support these young people. For me, I feel that as we're looking at how we support, when I talk to my case manager, she tells me she has 90 days. Anybody who works with the youth knows that it takes you that much time or even longer to even build a rapport, to understand what their realities are, to get entrenched in what their lives are and what brought them to that place. So I would agree with the sentiment that is echoed by my peers that we need to be there before 
they're transitioning out. We need to be there day one. We need to be building the rapport. We need to be building the relationship. We need to understand what these young people need to us, and then we need to figure out how to be responsive to those needs, not just as community-based organizations, but as a city as well. I understand that there are issues that have prevented us from looking at it that way from the past till now because we talked about getting rid of juvenile hall we talked about improving referral systems but we haven't made the jump to discussing it to actually doing it so now the question becomes how do we make that happen how do we make that a reality when we see our young people dying on the streets when we see the recidivism when we see the mental health issues and all the other issues that are plaguing our young people and they continue to evolve and they continue to grow when do we stop and say the time is now for us to make a change and I'm hoping that as we have these conversations and as you hear us and as we speak and as we represent the young people in our communities and in this city, we will move towards change sooner rather than later. Thank you. So I want to make sure we know how to spell your name and that everybody knows what agency you're from. Did people get that? So my name is Nyree, N-Y-R-E-E, -E, last name Monroe, M-O-N-R-O-E, organization M-N-C. Tell, tell people what MNC is. Oh, okay. Mission Neighborhood Centers. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> okay. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Michelle Alvarez Campos. I'm here with Instituto Familiar de la Raza, in particular with our La Cultura Cura, or Youth Services Program. And I've just recently become the director, but I've been working with the Instituto for many years, back and forth. And I've always worked in direct services with youth involved in juvenile justice. And we've been working, Instituto's been working with youth directly with um, a contract since 1999, starting with our intensive home-based supervision program that got upgraded, I believe, in the 2000s to um, ISCS, which was really combining the case management with the mental health services. And that's where we get some of our funding. So we have ISES funding through the Department of Health to specifically for youth on juvenile probation. We also have the Family First contract, and we do have DCYF funding. And particularly with our Family First contract and DCYF, referrals have been underutilized. I, have, I just received last week a Family First referral, which is really working with kids that are coming back from reentry or have been detained for a long time after a whole year of no referrals. Underutilized. I've reached out, I've done outreach with several teams, the uh, private placement, all those folks, and I still haven't gotten referrals for that program, but for one, and I think, you know, Margaret asked us to come to talk about relationships with probation. It really depends on that relationship with individuals, unfortunately. It's hard, you know, that's the truth. You know, if we build a good relationship with the PO, then we're actually working together as a service team to really elevate that young person because our young people are really healing from trauma. They're trying to navigate a lot of systems and they really need support around that. And we really are promoting their well-being. So for us, it's really when we're underutilizing. This year, we've only gotten one referral for our DCYF, DCYF case management. We've had to seek services out in the community for other youth that have been at risk. And that sometimes becomes very challenging. Um, because you know we hire folks, and if they have nothing to deliver, then how are we going to you know provide certain services um, for those young folks? So I think in, in thinking about our relationship with JPD, sometimes and we talk about it, 
I don't mind being relentless with the family and a young person, but I shouldn't have to chase manage POs for communication. I've had a referral for a week. I've sent out an email. I've made a phone call. Here we are week two, and I still, the procedure is we're supposed to contact POs before we even begin to talk to the family and the youth. Why does it take two weeks to do that for someone to return a phone call or an email? That's not, that's not being due diligence to our young people. I don't mind doing that with young people. I will go to their home, I'll go to their school, but I shouldn't be doing that with probation officers. When we do work together and we work at as a team and not in silos, I think young people and families really feel supported and they know how to use the services. But again, when we're, we're not working together, then young people see that and then they're not able to get the support they really need. Um, I wanna be really clear, it's really important to actually use a very a trauma informed lens in and youth development, adolescent development, because sometimes we want change in three months, in 90 days, in six months. And when young people, they're growing up and their brains don't develop that quickly, especially that front lobe, right? That judgment lobe, they're gonna make mistakes, but how do we use restorative practices and not petty things for young people? I appreciate, I've worked in other counties and other juvenile halls, I appreciate that we're much liberal here and we don't want young people detained, but I also have seen the other face where we don't practice certain practices around restorative justice and how do we work together. So for me, in order to streamline the referral process, there has to be another system. One, if I have to chase around a PO, and I usually get just a little piece of paper with the name and a phone number, but I don't get the rest of the packet. I don't get to know what are the, what are the current court orders? How, do, how are we gonna help this young person stay in compliance if I can't even communicate with the PO? Then I have to go to the attorneys or I gotta look for a private attorney. We want the young people to be successful. How can we make them successful from day one when I get that referral? So and pretty much for us is just, you know, how do we continue to build that relationship? How do, we've talked about shared vision, we've talked about shared leadership between community-based organizations and JPD, but how do we really do that? Because I feel the folks that really need to hear it are the direct providers of JPD. The POs need to hear what we are struggling with and what do we need to partner with them. We're here as community, but we need, here, we need to be together so we could resolve some of these things and come up with some better solutions for our young people and the families of San Francisco. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else who's here in the audience who wants to speak on this subject? I see Denise Coleman. Hi, everybody. Let me get everything together here. The mask gets all caught on my earring, and then the earring wants to come out of my ear. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Hi, everybody. I hope you all are doing well. Um, Relationships with um, the JPD is a very complicated subject. So I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier, which is the referrals and the lack thereof. Um, I'm not sure if all of you have heard about this small group of community-based organizations that have gotten together every Wednesday um, to talk about referrals, referrals that we've heard about from other different people, either from someone on the street says, you know, my cousin got arrested, she's 15 years old, she's in juvenile hall. Okay, so we 
meet on these Wednesdays and we say, okay, who can deal, who can handle a young person um, that identifies as female and is 15 years old? Okay, Lucero, where's Lucero? Let's get her on the email and call her and figure out if she's got the capacity um, to talk to this young person or if she can get up to juvenile hall and find out some more information and then go in there and have a conversation. And it's not difficult. You know, we don't know the names of these young people. The most information we have is what they were arrested for, their age, and uh, either they're detained or not. And how can we figure out a way to support this young person? Um, and it doesn't feel that complicated to us. And so I'm hoping that, you know, as we continue discussing this relationships with um, JPD and the community-based organizations, we, we have to understand these kids are all our kids. They don't belong to any one of us. And we have got to do this as a unit and, and as a corp corporate, not even a corporate, but as a collaboration where everybody's working together towards the same end. Thanks. Oh, I'll be damned. Is it public comment? I'm not representing an agency. Can I speak as public comment? You can say whatever you okay. want. <laughs> Hi, my name is Tracy Gallardo, and I'm here uh, representing the District 10 office today, as well as the communities of color that um, are most, you know, in attendance at JPD. I think it's been clear over the last two years, and even prior to my experience before that, that JPD does not make referrals. And it is a broken system. We've tried to fix it. We've tried to give ideas. We've tried to share that it's not working. And yet here we are two years after a plan to close down Youth Guidance Center, and we still have the same issue that referrals are not being made. You have DCYF giving a lot of money to our agencies um, to serve our kids and they're not getting the referrals. And so as someone who is an advocate for juvenile justice reform, I think it comes back to the commission and to the board of supervisors. What is the new plan? The system is broken. You've heard it, you're gonna hear it again. Everyone could talk until they're blue in the face. And the same outcome will be the system is broken. We don't have a good referral system. How do we get to that? It's, it's a collective discussion. It's, it's where we need a lot of um, public comment and public input. But I would leave you with, um, in the adult system, pretrial goes in, right? And pretrial gets to interview, and they get to make referrals right away. We need that kind of a system. I'm not saying it has to be pretrial, although my girl Joanna's there, and I do uh, like that she would be able to maybe oversee that. But, but I, you know, I will say, that is a system that is working. There are people in the system that have access to the, to the clients that are in custody. Five Keys also has access to the clients in custody. Our CBOs who receive thousands of dollars from DCYF do not have access to serve the kids. So how do we fix that and how do we fix it right away? Definitely interested in looking at, at figuring that out and even trying to find funding to make it happen. But we need to fix this and we need to fix it ASAP. I, I, I just feel like we keep coming to these meetings, we keep hearing the same thing year after year after year. Let's, 
let, let's just do something about it. And I think your program committee can make the recommendation, can work it out and, and bring it to the board, ask for more money, whatever it is. You have my office, you have the District 9 office here. We want to see this work. We want kids to get the services that our agencies provide. Thank you. So I do want to point out we have Supervisor Hillary Ronan's office here and we just thank you and uh, Supervisor Shimon Walton you just heard from. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, my name is Jose Luis Tecun Mejia, uh, Strategy Director with Coleman Advocates for Children and Youth. Um, I will just say my general statement is you can see the Reimagine Youth Justice Coalition statement made earlier by Lucetta, Lucero and Steph. Uh, but I have to say, uh, I'm not surprised to hear any of this, right? And I think it is only reaffirming, right, how critical uh, this community driven campaign to close juvenile hall really is, right? The system, as you're hearing from direct service providers that are interacting with it, and young people uh, that feel beyond disheartened about how this system works, um, it's crazy. And speaking from my hat, uh, specifically within Coleman Advocates for Children and Youth, and working alongside folks like yourself, Margaret, and others, uh, that were a part of the community coalition, right, to reauthorize the Children and Youth Fund to increase it to serve transitional age youth. It is crazy that we're here, right, to talk about this dysfunction. We fought for this money, right, for our community, for our kids. I was out there on mission in Geneva with my two-year-old, right, spreading the word about Prop C. Right and remind her how these the her PE teacher and a million programs she participates in now you fought for that, right? And it is crazy that we're here talking about this level of dysfunction, right? Um, and I know this isn't necessarily targeted to each one of you as individuals, but as folks that are in these positions, right, to influence, to move, to take drastic action that is long been demanded and asked for, it is time, right, for you all, right, to move in solidarity, listen to the community, listen to our providers that have been doing this for years, right, that are telling you we, we're not even being utilized. Right, we're funded by DCYF, various other sources to do exactly this work, and then are then potentially get repercussions when you have to report right at the end of the year what your outcomes were, how many people you served, how many folks uh, are moving along the line to transform their lives. And you're going to get penalized for that. We know what that's going to look like when you got to write that report. You're, it looks like we need to give this money back is what it looks like, right? But we're here hearing that's not the issue right now, right? There, it's in, this, in their contracts to do this work, right, through a city department, right? And I have to also say... Um, and I am emotional at the moment, right? Because it's these are our, our young people's lives, 
Right. I grew up out here. I committed a lot of these heinous crimes. Right. That the D.A. is over here trying to charge young people as adults for now. Right. And to be frank, the the brokenness and dysfunction of the system is only serving into the hand of the political right, the D.A., the national forces. Right. That want to only lock our kids up more that don't want restorative practices, that don't want community-based healing, right? We're setting it up for them to just be on Fox News tomorrow, tonight, right? And then say, look at how messed up San Francisco is trying to implement these quote-unquote progressive ideas, and it don't work, right? And so it's facing us in the, it's right in our face, right? And we fought for this money, right? And now we're be and these are in folks' contracts, and now we're hearing, right, the the JPD that is supposed to be making these referrals, right? These probation officers that are supposed to be working hand in hand, right, with a community ally, right, that is supposed to have the best interest at heart of these young people, their families, are just being ignored, treated like we invisible out here. Right? So I got to just keep it real and speak from the heart, right? And as folks that, you know, we do, we're doing this work at TSF, right? Trying to spread awareness about these needs of our young people, right? Uh, trying to educate folks about uh, brain development, adolescent brain development, right? Intergenerational trauma, right? We know the research is old, right? We're over here trying to do that work. And we ain't even being utilized, right? And so I appreciate, I know we got to wrap it up, but this, this is outrageous, right? And we should all be up in arms out here, including yourselves. Thank you, Jose Luis. Is there anybody else in the room? And I want to, then we will take the people online because we do have a bunch of people online apparently. But if there's anybody else, are you going to speak? Ms. Brown, get up here now. Thank you, I'm Molly Brown. I'm a volunteer with the JJPA and a District 1 resident. Um, I, it's very hard to follow Jose Luis because that was really an incredible speech and thank you so much for that. Um, you know, I was on a call last week and with a lot of my CBO partners and who've been doing this for decades and they have reached the end of their, their line. They're, they're just sick of it. They're sick of begging for kids. Think of how insulting that is. You're paid to do a work you feel so passionate about and you can't get the young people through the channels that you are forced to use, which is through JPD. Uh, it's unconscionable to me, and, and we are so tired of it, and this is an easy solution. You hear here every month, 35 to 55 referrals come into the system. CARC is paid to work with young people on the front end. DDAP through CJCJ is paid to work with them on the back end. There is no reason why those two agencies can't serve as the funnel to refer these youth out. And what a wonderful day it'll be when it's those two agencies who choose which PO officer they get if they have to have one because their offense is serious enough to merit one. But we are really doing a disservice to these young people by letting JPD serve as a bottleneck and essentially not giving them the referrals to the services they need. And we have relied on this system for decades and it doesn't work. 
I was naive to think a new chief could make this happen. I was naive to think that a new administration, who I have nothing but the highest respect for, could make this happen. But this is bigger than them. This requires you as a commission to change policy. It also requires DCYF as a funder to require that policy is changed because you are funding case managers, you are funding point people in the community, and you can require that these agencies be able to serve these justice-involved youth. And the work that we did collecting signatures 30 years ago will have been made worth it. We also went to the trouble to include Tay this last round. That was a lot of work. We fought really hard. People don't care about Tay. And we said, no, no, we have to care about Tay. They're really important. So we got extra money for these young people to provide them with services up to age 24, which we, again, are not taking advantage of. Shame on everybody and shame on you commission that 40% of your kids now in the hall are 18 and over. They need these services. So please do your jobs too. Thank you. Okay, let's take a comment from people online. Uh, Cheryl, can you manage that? There is one person online with their hand raised. What? Uh, can everyone hear me? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Okay. So let's go to the people online and ask for public comment from them, and then we'll do public hey. comment from anybody here. Is that kosher? Clarify, that's all. Um, there was only one other that I contacted, which was young community developers, and I don't know if they're Hello? on the line. We do have one caller. Caller, are you online to make public comment or to present? Uh, public comment? Can you hear me? Yes, yeah. you can. Hold on just a moment, please. So shall we okay, proceed with you. public comment? Yeah. Okay. Caller, please go ahead. You have three minutes. The bell will ring at, at 30 seconds before you have to wrap up your, your speech, okay? Okay, okay thank go you. Ahead, caller. Okay, good afternoon, uh, good, after, good evening, everyone. My name is Booker Gray, I'm Assistant Director with Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice. And I just want to touch uh, bases on what the, uh, the other caller was saying earlier um, around the, uh, the tape population. I directly work with the AB12 services. And there definitely needs to be some upgrade there. Um, they really need some case management service, um, helping children with um, young people, I'm sorry, uh, be able to get some transportation to some of these housing programs, um, support with uh, medical needs, um, getting to appointments, um, things of that nature. So there's definitely a need for these services and uh, CJCJ as a whole works with these type of young people um, after they get off probation, because I think sometimes they do get forgotten. And uh, we want to make sure that we're giving them every possible means to succeed. Um, but through the AB12 work um, that people are doing with the social workers, um, they're doing their best, but there is just a definite need for more support in that arena. So um, we're currently working with, uh, we're serving 32 youth uh, through the juvenile justice system as of now. And uh, of those 32, we're actually working directly with AB12 services for, for 13 of those young people. Um, so yeah, that's all I had to say. I appreciate the time uh, to the commission and thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody 
in the audience or online who wants to make public comment on this topic. Did was uh, is that okay? DCYF going to present as part oh, of this? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. What well, is there anybody else online? No one else online that wants to speak. Um, so the, the other part of this, the other side of this is to hear from DCYF about what it is they're trying to do. And so we have Jasmine Dawson here and is anybody else here? Is Rebecca, are you Rebecca Brown? Mm -hmm. It's how nice to meet you. So would you introduce yourselves and I invited them to tell the another part of this story, which is what they're funding people to do. Yes, thank you so much to the commission. And I told them they can't talk for too long. <laughs> no, we won't be long. Yes. It's hard to follow. <laughs> I mean, big, um, big thank you to Commissioner Rockin and Commissioner um, Spingola, Moses, Lacoy, Laco. And Martley Jordan, thank you so much for inviting us to come out and talk. Um, this microphone is intimidating. <laughs> but um, my name is Jasmine Dawson. I'm Deputy Director of City and Community Partnerships with DCYF. And just um, want to definitely acknowledge our CBO partners, our grantees in the room. Um, this is bringing back a lot for me as well in, in my journey. And so I, I really want to appreciate everybody that's given public comment. And so I just wanted to also to use this time to um, also introduce and um, welcome our new research evaluation and development team um, manager, data manager, Dr. Rebecca Brown, who will be, be tag teaming. And then also to, to acknowledge Ryan Sapinoso, who does the evaluation and data, um, and he's an analyst with our team. So I wanted to just acknowledge them as well. Um, let's start off with the first slide. Um, Could you hold on just a moment, please? Let's make sure that the people at home and people in the room can see the slide. Oh, I Oh, wait, we can might you please share? share? It's sharing, so we just it's need to share. Yes, it's, it's sharing, so we just need to go to this screen. That's sharing. The people at home can see it. I'll let you tell me when it's ready. Michael at home, can the people at home see the screen? Yes. Can they see the presentation? Yes. It's clear. We're trying to get it for the folks in the room. Um, for the people in the room, we do have handouts. Could we go with that? I was going to say that. I think there's enough copies. Do the commissioners, can the commissioners see the, the presentation on their screens? No, it's small, but we have handouts also. We have a hard copy also. You guys have hard copies? Yeah. There's no reason that shouldn't be sharing, though. Is the camera on? Is which? I see two cameras. Well, one camera. Okay, guys, let's get on with this. Okay, <laughs> I'm getting queued up to get started. So let's see, let me, let us go. We'll, we'll fast forward here and go to the slide that shows our planning process. Oh, okay. Okay. That, that's good. Go. Okay. All right. 
Okay, so I just want to can I mean, say one thing? Yes, one of the reasons this is so timely and important is DCYF is going through a whole new cycle now. <laughs> by the end of Katie, just firm by the end of next summer, they and they're they're planning now, like how to reinvent the 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 processes that we're talking about and how to you know allocate funding accordingly. So this is sort of very timely. Yeah, thank you so much, Commissioner Brock. And yes, you're still in my thunder here. So yeah, we just finished our community needs assessment process. We got a lot of feedback, many from feedback from folks in the room, partners, community. And so we've completed the community needs assessment and now we're working on our services allocation plan, which for many of you know, this is the time where we determine how much funding we're gonna put in different service areas. So it's a critical point in our planning process. And then it also tees up the ball for the RFP, which is the next big deal. and it's the five-year funding cycle. And I just want to remind everyone that we're going to be using equity as our through line. And then you can look through the slides to see the details, but I'll advance this to the next screen. Oh, and then also too, again, it's a reminder that it's a five-year funding cycle. So where we are right now on the timeline is we're, um, we're, we're slated to finish our SAP in the summer, and then we're going to quickly turn around and write the RFP. So we are gathering feedback. We're going to have a, a process where we share out the SAP. We work closely with our systems partners, which includes also the commissions as well, to make sure that we are heading in the right direction. And, and I want to encourage everybody to definitely take a look at our community's assessment, which is on our website, just to get a, a feel for where we're going. Our next slide, please. And so also to just want to remind folks of what the actual portfolio looks like in the next slide. This is just a snapshot of where we are in terms of the continuum and what services are being funded. And as you heard from many of our agencies, there's case management, there's group activities, there's a ton of services and supports, but the aim here is to have a continuum of services to prevent further youth engagement in the justice system and to reduce the rates of youth recidivism through connection to adult allies and in uh, cultural programming, et cetera. And then also too, these are the strategies, um, areas of our work. And as you heard, CARG, cultural programming is a strategy, uh, detention-based services, girls and young women's programming, multi-service, and then also young adult court case management and intensive supervision and clinical um, supports. And we also have spreadsheets for you to look really closely into those areas if you are um, interested. And then again, this is another snapshot of how much our investment is to date. Um, 15.3 million, we fund uh, 50 programs, um, and our projections, our participants from 21-22 are 2,345. And I also wanna just echo or just mention too that after the RFP was issued four or so years ago now, we recognized that there were challenges with the referral system and we opened up the window for agencies to work with schools, public defender. We just made it very clear that at-risk young people could be served through our agencies. And so I just wanna lift that up as well. Um, but this is the number here of 2300 is the number that all of our agencies served. And then this is the next section is just a snapshot Commissioner Brocken, you asked us very specifically, could we show a number of how many youth that are justice involved actually engage with our agencies? 
And it's a complicated way for us, but this is a subset of um, what we captured through our JJCPA YLBG grant funding. Only, and that's a state grant for folks that know, it's an allocation that comes to the county. And only a few agencies are captured in the JJCPA, so that's why I say this is a subset number, but this gives you an idea. We're gonna be working to figure out how to get to a better number. That's gonna be the goal and vision for the next cycle, but I do wanted to just do that as a level setting and share that number as well. And then this is another um, summary of all of our um, service areas and or not service areas, our strategies and um, the funding investment in each of those areas. And again, in your in your PowerPoint, you'll see or your spreadsheet, you'll see all the breakdowns. And I will pass it to Dr. Brown to give her update. Hi. So um, we have uh, annually performance measures that the grantees um, that we hold grantees to, um, and they were um, because of the pandemic, people were shifted to. Could you speak? Um, you can pull the microphone up, please. Thank you. Higher elevator. Um, because of you know um, trend the, going through the pandemic, people had to you know do um, other things, so they were exempted from their performance measures for the last two years. So what we have uh, the most recent are the 21-22 fiscal year, and that's going to be coming out in November. So this is just a preview of what it's going to be. So the things that um, that we uh, track for the annual. Um, Performance measures are just program completion, and then there's a youth survey um, that tracks uh, whether or not the young people feel like they have a, a caring adult in the program, um, someone who understands them. There's two questions about that. Someone um, in the program, um, also referring to the program, did they refer? Did they get referrals to supported services? So, food, housing, childcare, educational supports. Um, transportation. So um, there's a whole bunch of things where we track what they were referred for. Um, then we ask them about envisioning a positive future. So do they um, have feel like they have from the program a more positive outlook? And do they feel like they have um, more direct goals? And then their sense of personal identity. Do they feel belonging in a community? Um, and do they feel comfortable with their own personal identity? So and these uh, these will be coming out in November for this last year. So the other thing is we um, we have a, an independent evaluator who's looking at justice outcomes and they can put together um, the data from a justice and from DCYF to look at outcomes um, of the programs. So um, AIR, the American Institutes of Research is our evaluator for looking at um, the juvenile um, justice work and what they're doing is they're taking a sample of youth up to 25 um, that are from the records of the juvenile probation department the da and also CARC, um, and that they're looking at from 2018 to 2022 um, and basically they're looking at participants who are either in justice services or mentorship and they're comparing them to participants or to um, non-participants who have similar um, arrest records and that sort of thing. So they're matching with people based on the seriousness or serious or violent offenses, the number of prior offenses and uh, arrests, I mean, and um, demographics. So they're matching based on that and then looking at those who are in the programs and how their outcomes are different. Um, and so for the triggering arrest for the participants, it's the nearest arrest to the time um, to the time of participation. And then for non-participants, it's the first arrest they have in that period that they're um, evaluating. 
So the outcomes that they're examining, um, whether they're ever arrest, rearrested or the number of rearrests, um, school outcomes like GPA and attendance and discipline, um, also graduation, and then looking at the, whether there's new detentions or incarceration. And then this last one is a statistical measure that looks at, it does a prediction of how likely um, the young person is to get rearrested within a six month period. So they, they model whether or not, um, how it's different for participants versus non-participants if you do this statistical model. So, yeah. And you know, while we're on this, I definitely want to lift up too that agencies are not penalized. They um, we work closely with our agencies if they can't meet their numbers, if we they have challenges or things that are going on, we don't take contracts back. So I just wanted to just affirm that that we really work closely with our agencies despite what system issues are happening and what's going on. I hear some snaps back there. That's great. That means that they're participating in technical assistance and capacity building. <laughs> But thank you, thank you. I just want to acknowledge that as well. <laughs> um, and so this is just a snapshot. I'm, we're going to fly through these slides. This is a snapshot of where we're funding, what strategies, um, a snapshot of the participants from, I believe, last year. And so I won't spend time there, but I want to just take it to the next slide. And we just talk about the highlights. I mean, I always want to use these opportunities to talk about the partnerships that we're trying to do and perform and be intentional both with community and the system. And so just want to lift up that we work closely with JPD, Adult Probation, Sheriff's Department, and the DA's office. Um, we are, as you all know, guided by the local action plan. It's several years old. We need to redo it. Um, and then we also, um, I want to lift up that we have quarterly meetings with our justice partners where we bring everyone together and we talk about implementation. We talk about referrals and challenges. And, you know, we try to not solve for them, but we address them and we know that they're, uh, they're there, which is why we have to make the adjustments and be flexible on our end so that young people can be served. And I just want to lift that up as well, is that the partnership is very strong. We're very excited that we have AIR, which is a national evaluation firm, to be our third party partner in this. Um, and many of you have participated in um, um, focus groups with AIR. And so we're excited about the work that we're doing with evaluation. We're also very excited about TA and capacity building. We have, again, on a national stage, we have the um, the Criminal Justice um, National Institute for Criminal Justice Reform doing their positive youth development and, and intensive life coaching. We have ROCA. I feel like we're missing some other people, but this is a snapshot. Um, and then also, too, the last thing I want to lift up is um, we're really excited that as of today, we worked in partnership with JPD and um, received the recommendations from the DJJ realignment. And we're happy to announce that we have new grantees coming into the fold. Some of them are not new, but new programs for sure. Um, BACR, Success Center, and Renaissance will be working in Credible Messenger Life Coaches for justice-involved young people. And then also to YCD and SF Pre-Child and City Youth Now is going to be working on whole family support. And this is a direct result of our partnership, constant conversations, hearing from community and trying to figure out how do we reiterate, how do we iterate, how do we make changes and how do we address this? And I just wanna also, I would be remiss if I don't lift up the need for school support. And that's the other thing that's missing. And we, we know we, we need to do better around prevention. And that's my hope for the next cycle is that we have a clear lane for how to do prevention because many of our kids haven't touched the system yet but they will soon and we want to prevent that. And that's the great work of all the groups that are in the room today. And I just want to lift that up as well. And I think that's it. And we'll take questions. Um, 
Okay, how to do this. Do people on the commission have questions? I wanted to make sure because it was wasted a lot of trees to copy all this stuff. So I wanted to, it isn't wasted. No, it's not wasted. But I, I did want to make sure my fellow commissioners saw this incredible list so you get a sense of what's being funded. So you have as part of your packet the all the agencies that are funded through DCYF and then a more detailed explanation of them. So I have one question, yes. which is, okay, you've just heard a lot of feedback. Mm -hmm. You're doing a planning process. Yes. I want to make sure the people in this room have been given feedback and we're all able to be involved in the planning process because I really liked what Ron Stuckel said. You know, we have to reinvent it. Yeah. And then that's what the the plan should reflect mm -hmm. moving forward, but it can't reflect it unless JJPA, unless the people who testified, unless our commissioners, and of course JPD, because I know you're good partners with JPD, are involved in it. And maybe you have a certain subsection of the planning process that mm -hmm. relates to the justice System. Yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad you brought that up. And and one of the things that we are being very intentional about around this next round for our services allocation plan is how we work with our community partners. So I know that we're planning to come to the service provider working group, which also is a part of some of our folks that are in the JJPA are a part of. We want to come to the JJPA as well because we want to integrate that in before we finalize the services allocation plan. I just don't know how that'll look because we are planning diligently, but there is a plan to make sure that we come back to community and say, here's what we hear, here's what you're saying. And we have that backed with data from our community's assessment process, sussed out from our partnership, what's working, what's not working. And so we've been in the conversation and we want to continue to be a partner, but yeah, before we stamp it, that's the time to give us that information and that feedback. And then we go into RFP and it's showtime, right? right. And so, But yeah. it's more than one meeting. Yeah, oh yeah, you know, oh no, it's, it's not, it's like not one. We're talking about a process here. Right, right. And I just don't know what that'll look like, but we will be and are committed to coming back to the JJPA, Service Provider Working Group. Um, I don't know the list because I'm not the big R on that task, but just know that that's going to happen for those two groups. Who's sure. the big R? Amijo Gomes, who's over our strategic initiatives at DCYF. Because I can only do so much. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad. Does anybody on the commission have a question? Does anybody in the audience want to provide public comment on any of this? I see one person. Let me just say why she's coming up here. I did ask people, do you have other agencies you'd like to have invited? And I worked hard to get the two agencies that you suggested, but don't know them. So I do want to say to my fellow commissioners, that, you know, I took the prerogative to reach out to people that I knew, but we are going to have a second meeting on this. And so I would encourage you to invite people you think have been missing, whose voice has been missing, so we have as full uh, an airing of this issue as possible. Uh, thank you. My name is Dawn Stickle, again, co-chair of the JJPA, director of Sunset Youth Services. Wait. Were you stopping me? May I ask, is this public comment or is this? Yes. Yes. Oh, you're starting the timer. 
I should have said no. I'm just kidding. Um, so a couple things. One is um, I just want to say one reason CBOs are not here is because people are exhausted of this topic, frankly. And so it's it's hard to come month after month and say the same thing for years and years and not see movement. So you can feel all the air go out of the room, even in our meetings when we bring this up as and start asking people to show up and make comment. So that's one reason why people are not here. Um, I think people start feeling exhausted of whether real change is coming. So secondarily, I will say um, thank you for the DCYF. Um, I do think that DCYF tries really hard to partner with CBOs. Um, and one caution I want to give, I started to say this earlier, is um, sometimes looking at those numbers feels like, wow, that's a lot of money. Um, I will just say like CBOs are paid pennies on the dollar to do the work um, that that our city counterparts might be doing and we are we are most of us are stretching our budgets very thin to serve the young people we're serving and this was mentioned earlier but these kids you don't serve them in 30 days this is not like a 30-day turnaround this is like years of investment in families and young people and going the distance with them and so I, I know you see it here, recognized in the room. A lot of our staff were young people that we worked with for years that are now working in our programs. Many That's true across the city with CBOs. We're investing in our people at that deep level, and we're paying them you know, less than half of what the city gets paid. Oftentimes, you know, a third of what the city gets paid to do. Pardon? How much? Oh, I would say, I, I mean, case managers, I, I think at an entry level, case managers are getting paid around $40,000 a year. That is not enough money to live on in this city. And our case managers are working around the clock, on the weekends, whenever kids are in trouble, we're the ones that are showing up in their lives. We're the ones that are going out there. If you look at what happened during COVID, it was, this, it was the CBOs that kept this city going, right? We, we pivoted, we brought the basic needs, we brought food to folks, we kept people out of trouble. Juvenile hall population went down to like seven during the COVID. We were out there with our kids every day. And so it is, we are the fabric. I was in a meeting just today where somebody said that they work for the city and that they hear this counter narrative all the time about nonprofits and what and how ineffective we are and what we don't do. And I'm telling you that that is untrue. We are doing the work. Thank you. Okay, do we have any other public comment? To, to the you have two people online. Oh, okay, cool. Can you call on them, Carol? Michael, do you Hello? Like to over? Hi, am I, am I, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead and state your name and go ahead. Hi, my name is Angela Gallegos Castillo. I am calling in as a Roadmap to Peace Community Builder Planner, also, um, Lead agency is Instituto. Roadmap to Peace is a seven organization collaborative working with Latinx, Chicano, Latinx, Indigenous youth um, in risk of violence coming out of the system. And I just want to, I'm not going to reiterate what everyone already said, but I think what I really want to say is we need to divert our children and youth going into these systems. Diversion is the key, which is why 
I've been listening for this entire time and we're begging, we're begging, demanding for our systems in the city of San Francisco to do better by our children and our youth so as not to get them engaged into the system. We already know the hundreds of studies that show the detrimental effects of being incarcerated even for one day, even for a few hours. So diversion, I want to just reiterate that we want diversion. We want children not to have to touch the systems. And to do that, we need to do, we need to actually bolster the DCYF strategy that we've been building together as a city and community partners of creating an alternative system where children and youth do not touch the systems from the get-go. So I just wanted to reiterate that because we know that the last two years of the closed juvenile hall working group has been mired, mired by challenges, barriers, problems. It was not a good process. Let's just be honest with ourselves. And there is so much more to do. JJPA, Instituto and Roadmap to Peace, is part of JJPA, and we have a blueprint recommendation document that outlines all the ways that we can now, this moment, today, tomorrow, improve the way our, our, our children and youth experience um, the system or divert them from the system. So please keep diversion at the center of this conversation. Yes, as we try to build an alternative and build a community-driven, community-based alternative system, we do need to figure out how we can better the experiences of those that are involved now. But let's not lose the in 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 instituto we talk about the north the our north star the north star is diversion let's make sure we close down all these systems that are detrimental to our children and youth thank you do we have one more person yes we do go ahead tracy oh okay i thought i couldn't talk um, hold on, let me pull up what I wrote. Good evening, everyone, and um, for having this meeting, even though I'm going to have to agree with um, Don, we've had this conversation before. Um, I just wanted to state, hold on, I have it right here. Right here. So YCD does currently receive referrals from JPD, but that's because our program is um, mandatory and court ordered. Uh, we do agree. I've been listening in on some of the organizations um, identifying what some of the issue is around referrals. And, and I want to say I concur the current process of referrals is relational and does not take into account the best fit for young people. It's about who you have a relationship with that juvenile probation. Um, this means that good programs go underutilized. I also think we should look beyond current justice justice funded programs and look at all funded programs to ensure young people are connected to all resources in the community and re receive support beyond their involvement with JPD. So part of the issue that we see in the community is that they'll build a relationship with a program that has a six week, six month time frame, And then what happens beyond that? 
So with the DCYF's broad portfolio, I feel every youth in San Francisco should be connected to a to positive youth programming. And I'm hoping that, you know, I see some of the work being done now. Thank you, Jasmine Dawson, uh, working with juvenile probation to ensure that we're not just working with young people when they get in trouble. We're working with them beyond that. And I like the idea of us starting from the from from the time of arrest moving forward, but you know, maybe working with them before the arrest, like doing some more preventative work. Um, one thing I have to leave JPD with is that we should be working ourselves out of a job. A lot of this conversation that you hear from CBOs is we don't want to continue to do the same work. We should be doing something different. And the only way that's going to happen is not just to respond in crisis, but how do we work beyond this so that we're, we are, we have too many resources in San Francisco that families aren't supported here and families aren't having to deal with having to have a youth in juvenile probation. So what are we doing and what does that look like? And I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you. Was that Tracy? Yes, it was. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't hear your introduction. So. I'm sorry. I'm, right. I'm sorry. I'm Tracy Tapper, Program Director at Young Community Developers. <laughs> okay. Um, I am, as I said at the last meeting, this is a complicated issue. It has a lot of aspects to it. And uh, we have a whole other side of this. Um, uh, the, our chief called me before the meeting. And, and said, um, let's wait till the November meeting to hear a report from the, from the department uh, about its perspective on what they've been doing to address the issues that we're talking about here. So with the indulgence of the commission, I would like to sort of continue this subject, I don't know the formal way to do this, to the next meeting. So that, and then if other members of the commission want to invite, you know, want to issue invitations to CBOs, please feel free to do that. We will hear a report from the department. And in a way this worked out great because they got to hear what people are thinking so that it's an opportunity to, for them to report. So that's what I would propose for the next meeting. And then the following time, then we would refer to our program committee to say, okay, sort through this and make some recommendations about what we need to do to address it. Yeah, um, just for next time, I think it would be really helpful for me and maybe other people to understand what some of the barriers are from your perspective to doing some of the things that have been brought up. Um, just because I think not all of us have spent 10 years battling the referral system, like every, a lot of people in the room. So it's just helpful to understand kind of how it's working or not working, what the process is and kind of where the potential intervention points are. Is there anything else any of our commissioners would like to hear from the department at the next meeting? Anything specific? Thank you. Uh, I know there are a couple things we talked about several meetings ago um, that the department's been working on in terms of um, getting kids to CARC. Uh, so it'd be great to hear back about what's been going on there. 
And I assume the next program committee will continue the discussion about CARC. Yeah. MJ. Okay. Uh, I'm going to um, move on unless uh, there is any objection. Oh, yeah. I, <clears throat> I just want to make a quick comment about the presentation from this wire. I just want to thank DCY for the wonderful job they're doing, you know. And, and as you can tell, the CBO said they need more money. So, because they're doing a wonderful job. And I can testify to that because I happen to be on the board of one of the CBO that is really, really doing great. And I was wondering, do you make um, side visit to make sure that some of the CBOs are doing their job and what kind of measurement do you do? And when you find one that is really doing great, when they apply for more money, do you give it to them? Because they are telling us that, you know, we work so hard mm -hmm. and we are underpaid and things like that. Do you put all this into consideration? What kind of measurement do you do when you do your side visit? Thank you for that question. And so um, it's a multi-pronged response. So we use the what we call the YCAR Youth Program Quality Assessment Tool to measure um, quality for our programs. But for our justice programs, many of our justice programs, the way that the interactions work is case management. So you don't do a program observation with a one-on-one -on -one with the staff and a young person. Um, so that's one complication, but we can come out and do um, visits, basically YPQA um, tool, visit, tool site visits to um, programs that offer group activities. We also can't do PQA visits using this tool um, for detention-based programs for confidentiality reasons. And again, it's about observing, getting information from young people, them disclosing. So we have, we have it set up where they're um, excused from those. Um, but we, I want to also too lift up that you know we we work closely with our agencies to hear what's going on. We hear about the challenges. The wage equity is not not new for us we are aware of it it has been echoed for many years um, we don't have a solution for that i know that the controller's office is looking at wage equity it's a big conversation it's not just unique to justice programs it's across the board and it's a bigger conversation and so we don't we don't have an answer for that but we are aware and i think those are things that we need to consider when we're looking at the next funding cycle you know are we funding at the right levels that we need to be funding do agencies have what they need to be able to offer um, services and supports and, um, and and back to quality i think those are conversations that i'm really excited to have with our new uh, research evaluation and development um, manager who will help us understand what what are the tools if it's not ypqa how do we get a closer look at quality how do we determine quality where well, those are things we're going to have to work through together with our cbo partners but we're aware that you know that's a it's a critical point. But then again, too, I want to lift up that our agencies do our I mean our staff, our program specialists do go out to programs and hear about programs. We do ride alongs or whatever that looks like. They are um, staff do go out and check on programs, and they let us know what's not working too. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, I think that we can move on. Um, very quickly, um, um, yeah. As far as could could you speak into the microphone? Yeah. So sorry about that. Um, as far as our next meeting, it would be interested to hear from staff uh, chief um, around the accountability and evaluations. 
and that uh, happen within the department as far as the connections with these community-based organizations? Um, also, um, what would it look like for a day list to be um, shared out with community-based organizations so that they could be on the ground at the beginning uh, prior to the arrests? And also, um, just a revamp of what no, not a revamp, but um, an explanation of what the current referral process is. Yeah. I think that would be really helpful. Do you have all that, Cheryl? Because that's really important. Yes, I think it would be helpful for understanding it yeah. and move forward. Any other comments, thoughts, questions? Okay, I am going to move on then with the knowledge that there will be a second version of this hearing. Um, to the chief's report. Are we going to. Yeah, yes. Sure. So just while Maria is. Quickly putting up. The one slide. Are you putting up the slide? Well, I'm going to do the monthly report first. But yeah. I, didn't know if you to say I did. Yeah. Just while Maria is setting up for that, uh, it is helpful to hear things that folks want to hear from us at the next meeting. I want to be clear that it was an intentional request for a couple of reasons. One was to give opportunity for folks to give feedback about what you do want to hear from us, and also because we didn't want to keep everybody here for. The entirety of the conversation in 1 meeting, which seemed like way too long for anyone's um, endurance or our appetite for discussion so that it was an intentional split. Um, not a reaction to anything that's been shared tonight. I do really want to thank all the presenters who came forward tonight. This has been and continues to be a real priority for me. I do look forward to talking about it next month about the barriers, but also about where I do think we've made some positive change and about opportunities. Um, and uh, look forward to that conversation at that time. I'm going to hand it to Maria just to quickly do talk very briefly about the monthly report and then I'll come back and I have a very brief report tonight of a couple of slides only and Jasmine already stole my thunder on one of the slides. So it's really just one slide. Good evening. Um, I will be brief, but we do think that the numbers are important to look at. So I'm just going to go over the executive summary um, and I'm happy to take any questions about any other part of the monthly report as well. Um, so referrals for juvenile arrests in San Francisco, there were 52 in August, which is a 100% increase from August 2021, but I do want to frame that in context. That's the same number as there were in March and April and July, so it's higher than last year, but it's not completely out of the norm for recent trends, and it's still much, much lower than pre-pandemic um, referrals to the juvenile justice system. Um, a referral for admissions, uh, there were 24 admissions, which was also a big increase from last summer. Um, again, that it's pretty consistent with admissions over recent months. Um, though it is by by just one, it is more admissions than we've had any other month since October 2020. So we've hit 23 a few other months, but this is the first time we've hit 24 admissions in a month. 
Um, for the average daily population, that was 16 youth which with a peak of 19, and that's really consistent for the past two years. For length of stay, the median length of stay for young people who were released in the month of August was four days, which was slightly lower than last summer, but again has been pretty consistent over recent months. For our caseload, there are 288 youth on our active caseload, which is about the same as August 2021. And actually, if you look month to month, our caseload has been super consistent. It's basically a flat line over the past year. However, the makeup of that caseload has changed significantly. The number of youth on AB12 decreased a lot, which had a lot to do with a large cohort of young people aging out of AB12 um, at the end of last year. And the number of youth who are in pre-adjudication has increased. Um, for programs, um, I'm excited that we are now reporting this on a monthly basis and we will be digging into it a lot next month. So 58% of youth on our active probation caseload were active in a program um, as of August. And that does not include electronic monitoring or alcohol monitoring, so we've taken that out. Um, so it should reflect true community-based um, programs. And next month we'll dig into in greater detail which programs those are, um, what of those referrals come from GPD as opposed to we are trying to track outside referrals, which is basically when a young person is already connected to a, an organization without our involvement. And we'll dig into uh, what, who, who are those 40% roughly of youth who are not connected to programs? Um, and what can we start doing to try to connect them? Um, and then lastly, um, there were 28 youth in what we're now calling alternative placements, which are various kinds of out-of-home placement, which is a big decrease from last summer. And that is something that has just been going down since the beginning of the pandemic. It just keeps going down. Um, which is good. Next, quickly, I'm going to do our juvenile hall snapshot. Um, Are you going to go through all of these? Nope. Yeah. This is the end. That was a great summary, and I really appreciate. <laughs> We're going to do that. We're going to do this. Okay. The chief told I was only going to do the executive summary, you Commissioner Broadkin, but she said, "Please do this too." Um, so the juvenile hall snapshot. This is actually we have the same, pretty much. I think from this is from Monday, but the total is the same. So there are 13 young people in juvenile hall, two of whom are girls. Um, there are two additional young people in county jail who do have secure youth treatment facility commitments, which means they could come back to us at any point if their criminal matter is resolved. But our census is 13. Um, and we see a significant disparity where um, 77% of the young people in the hall are black, 15% um, are Latinx, and 8%, which is one young person, are AAPI. For age, seven out of the 13 are 18 or older. So it, really, more than half of our population are young adults. Um, the vast majority are San Francisco, um, so 80% are from San Francisco. And then in terms of their case status, seven of the youth are committed. So that is a completely new population that we wouldn't have seen two years ago, where everyone who was in juvenile hall was 
basically pre-adjudication or maybe they were awaiting a placement. But these are young people who are post-disposition. So if you were to take those young people out, only six are detained. So only six are what would be traditionally held in a juvenile hall. Um, which is a very small number. We can always do better and more, but it is a huge decrease from before the pandemic. And happy to take any questions. I wish you'd make that clearer. You know, the distinction between the people who are committed and the people who, you can figure it out by looking at age, but that is unbelievable. The, it's hidden the, behind that box right there. Where is that? <laughs> oh, I see. But we can make it even clearer. We can use clearer terminology because I agree we, that we've changed this chart for that very reason to right. make it clearer. And put it, and put it in the summary. Okay. Um, it just I just want to make sure I understand because I think there's a similar statistic at the DCYF presentation, but the 58% of youth on the active caseload are enrolled in programs. And I think it was like 50 50 something percent. 52%. So also really, this is right now and DCYF I believe is reporting on the last fiscal yeah. year. So that's one thing. Okay. And then the other thing is um, this is like in the weeds, but it's Commissioner Laco, so she likes the weeds. Mm -hmm. um, that was for DCYF, that's, those were just programs that are funded by the Juvenile Justice Crime Prevention Act okay. as opposed to the full portfolio. So I think probably 58% is probably like once um, DCYF is able to do the full portfolio, I'm thinking that's what they might get to and then we'll feel like okay. we're in alignment and that'll and, be good. Yeah. And that's not referred, that's like actually participating in programs or that's the share of youth who are referred out to That's programs. when we do a referral and we can talk next time yeah. more about our referrals, we'll but our referral, referral process is pretty formal and it does involve getting a release of information. So it's not a very casual, like, oh, we okay. just get to enter it. It's like, we did a release of information for a young person to go to a specific program. Yeah, I guess, I and mean, we could talk about this next time, but I'm, I'm interested also in how many youth are referred out to programming, but don't want it. Okay. You know, what, what share of youth yeah. fall into that? We don't program. have that yet, but we are working towards um, very slowly with our case management system vendor, a system where we would be tracking referrals and enrollments. Um, quick question. Of that 58 or 52 percent, how many, uh, what is the percentage of youth who are mandated with educational outcomes or, we, in, or in educational programs? We can, next time we can definitely provide a breakdown of which youth are in educational programming. I don't think we'll do this for next time. In the future, we could do a breakdown of uh, probation conditions. Um, which is a little bit different, but next time we can definitely uh, break down which youth, which are, what are educational programs versus behavioral health programs, et cetera. And the recidivism number based on what? We don't have recidivism, but AIR does. So um, AIR's Justice Services Outcome Evaluation um, will be coming, I think, in 2023, and they're doing a really um, robust recidivism analysis, and we're all, everyone is eagerly anticipating that. Okay, thank you. March or April. Okay, um, are there other questions or comments from commissioners? Um, thank you. Is there, wait a minute, is there public comment? Oh, you oh she still has to talk. I still have to do my last two oh. slides. 
Oh, excuse me. I guess we could do it either way, but it's up to you. I'll be quick. So but since way. this is a very you know specific part of this, if people wanted to comment on the data. Moving on. Sorry. Sure. So super quickly, just wanted to talk about our workforce updates like we do every month. We recently brought on one secretary um, who is working with some of our probation units, filling a vacancy. Uh, and in addition, we've had two separations since we were last all together. One of our utility workers who's moved on to another city position. And as you are well aware, your commission secretary. Um, so small report on workforce and I'll move us to the next slide. And then Jasmine already mentioned this, but just want to highlight that um, I believe yesterday DCYF notified a new set of grantees for um, this RFP and the genesis of it was DJJ realignment. So our DJJ realignment subcommittee last year when they were developing San Francisco's plans heard over and over about the need to do two things. One was have credible messenger life coaches for our young people, both in the facility and especially for the young adults who are there for a long period of time, but also some additional uh, life coaches in the community. And so there were three organizations fund three organizations or collaboratives funded to do that. One is success centers. They will be focused on inside the community. Um, and I'm very excited that they are also bringing in the Credible Messenger Mentoring Movement organization with them as technical assistance providers. It's kind of like the national premier Credible Messenger think tank right now. So I'm very excited that that'll be part of that process. Bay Area Community Resources, who will be um, subcontracting, I believe, with Young Women's Freedom Center for technical assistance with SCDC, possibly with Horizons. And then Renaissance Parents for Success, and their subcontract is Us for Us, which is essentially uh, Damian Posey will be out in community. I'm sorry, it's uh, Renaissance Parents for Success, who's subcontracting with uh, an organization called Us for Us, which is essentially Damian Posey, who will be doing work as a credible messenger for some of our young people focused on District 10. Um, and then for flexible funding for young people and their families, this is a first for us. The first time that we're really institutionalizing this kind of grant making, the ability to actually get into families' hands, actual cash for the things that they need um, in the moments that they need it. And so there are three um, organizations or collaboratives that have been funded again to do this piece. Um, San Francisco Pretrial Diversion, which will be partnering with a whole range of organizations and serving uh, as that kind of uh, holder and payer for the families that those organizations work with. So they'll be partnering with CJCJ, CYC, Huckleberry, Instituto, OTTP, Roadmap to Peace, Sunset, and the Brown Bombers. Young community developers also, um, and their focus will be primarily on families in D10. But they'll be getting referrals as well from juvenile justice providers, Black to the Future, Pacifica United, Roadmap to Peace, Phoenix Project, D10 Safety Plan, Public Defenders, POs, School District, and Behavioral Health Partners, so a wide variety. Um, and then City Youth Now, uh, focusing also on referrals um, and requests for funding from a wide variety of folks who work with families who've identified the needs for those families. Uh, what I want to note about all of this is that um, the announcements were made yesterday, uh, but included in this grant process is a planning period as necessary to get these things underway. So these are new things for us to be funding, 
particularly things like having credible messengers on site seven days a week in juvenile hall will require some collective work to figure out how that's going to look, how we bring folks in, what kinds of joint training we need, the labor modifications we may need to do. So we have a planning period as the beginning of the grant. Um, and then for the flexible funding piece as well, we want to give our grantees the time to establish what that application and payment process is going to be. So what is the criteria for when they'll fund families who may need something, how that communication will happen, and how the payments will actually be made uh, into the hands of our young people and their caregivers. Um, but we're really excited that we could make this possible. And I want to just reiterate that uh, the impetus of this was the closure of DJJ, but we wanted to make sure that we could provide these services both to young people in the facility, the most directly impacted by the closure of DJJ, but also young people who are in community. Do people have questions about this? I do. I, I, how many young people are we talking about here? This is a complicated, all these agencies, this is a lot of money. We've got like, what, five kids and five young people in the hall who are sure. sort of supposedly the target of this? No, no, no. So, no. so to reiterate, so the only thing that's specific to the kids in the hall is going to be the Grant to Success Center which will be having credible messenger life coaches on site in the hall seven days a week. And they will work with the seven young men who was Maria just described who've been committed to us for a long period, but they'll also be available to all the young people coming through the hall on a daily basis. So that's the one piece that is specific to in custody. Everything else you see will actually be resources for all of our young people who are in community. And I think we know that we, we have unlimited need in our community of families who actually could have direct financial support for emergent needs right now. Um, so we're starting by trying to do it this way, but I, I, do, I am not worried that we will not have the financial need that this grant can meet, and probably more. Yeah, the financial needs I get, the, I feel like, the credible messenger, given that we're having this referral problem mm -hmm. to be continued. Sure, and, yeah. and I'll add it's different. The credible messenger idea is different than a case manager. It's, it's a different piece. So, for example, using BACR's proposal, I think, is the clearest example. You know, what they've identified is they have a lot of young people working with their case managers, but that sometimes they really want a different person involved and at the table for that young person, not doing the case management, not reporting back to court, not doing those things, but just with them in relationship at key moments. And so they're actually looking at bringing in young people, um, young adults who actually came up through Roadmap to Peace as participants and now giving them that peer kind of credible messenger role. So it's for both that young person, kind of an elevation of their role in relationship with the young people coming behind them, and an added benefit to the youth that they're already working with. Uh, okay, I, Does, I, now is there any? I, I, have, oh. I, I have a quick question on um, flexible funding for young people and their families. How do you define that? Does that include the grandparents who care too? So I think it's a great question, and it's that's part of what the planning process is going to need to be. So there, it's a limited amount of money. So who will it be? Well, I I would say my my initial answer to you, Commissioner, is that it's young people and the people caring for them, and we know that in many cases that is a grandparent. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. 
um, but they'll be going through during this planning time, like, how is that going to work? How expansive can it be in a young person's circle if somebody may need financial support? Um, and how will they prioritize the money? Yeah, because really, like I've been saying, my passion is for the grandparents who care, because they are the ones who have solved the kid, yeah. the parents somewhere. So thank you for putting that in mind. We're finally doing something for that. Um, any more questions from the commission? Any public comment? Seeing none, um, I'm going to move the agenda on to the president's report, which is um, everybody signed a commendation to Pauline uh, Silverway uh, to really thank her for 14 years, which she devoted to this commission. Um, she was very dedicated to it. She dealt with it, dealt with us with a lot of grace and um, and dedication. So she will be getting this commendation. And the only other thing is, we do have two openings on the commission, so that if people have ideas about who might apply, you apply to the mayor's office. That would be great. So that's the extent of my report. Um, any update from the program committee, which I think didn't meet, right? No, we didn't meet uh, this month, but we will meet next week um, to continue the discussion about CARC and kind of all of the upfront uh, issues that we've been talking about and hopefully make some recommendations. Um, public comment? I'll have to comment on so. Um, the next item is future agenda items. We have agreed we'll talk about community-based organizations at the next meeting, but we will have, uh, that's November. We will have a meeting in December. So we were going through all our sort of goals for the department. One thing that we had hoped to discuss is uh, leadership issues around the juvenile hall and issues specifically around the juvenile hall, but I think you may not have hired somebody by then. I think it's um, unlikely that we will have somebody who started by then. Would you say? I think it's unlikely that we'll have a new hall director in that position by that meeting. So if anybody has a suggestion about our December meeting, and please feel free to contact me uh, through Cheryl, that would be great. So um, we are now going to go into cl closed session because it's not properly identified for a closed session. Why not? It says it closed doesn't say session. the topic. It doesn't have the topic, and I'm sorry I didn't notice it because usually future agenda items is the last item on the agenda. I didn't get the agenda before it was posted, but. So I'm sorry, but it, that's not prop, it's not properly agendized for a closed session. Then we will talk about it at the following meeting when we will have it agendized. And the topic is, I can say now what it is, it, it's hiring our secretary, so which is a personnel issue. So that's why it's a closed session. But we will do it next month. Uh, 
and then I will say, uh, unless there are further public comment or announcements, I'm going to adjourn the meeting. It is now 7.34 or something like that. The meeting is adjourned. Do it, President. Do it. That was good. Could, could you hold on just a moment, please? So, all right. Michael, could you please stop the WebEx? I'm sorry. I didn't know that. Not a problem. I